Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome. It's officially the start of, like, what, school for a lot of people this past week. So it's kind of feeling like, here we go, fall is on its way. Um, but uh, today we're going to enjoy a time together after church. So we'll squeeze out every bit of the summer as we can. So you're welcome to join us at Endicott Park. And we'll uh, make that announcement again at the end of the service. Um, all right. So this uh, is the start to a brand new series, folks. We're going to do a series on the Holy Spirit or the Spirit or Spirit. Um, and I'm calling it Spirit. That'll be the name of the, the series. It's just Spirit. And there's a reason for that. I'll explain that in a moment. And today's talk will be on old and new wineskins. It'll be the framework. It's not, I'm not going to explore that text uh, deeply, but that'll be the framework of how we're going to think about what God has been doing. And like I said last week, I'm going to look at the history. So this will be a two-parter. We're going to look at the history this week. And we're looking at the history from the um, uh, the New Testament, the book of Acts, <clears throat> all the way to um, uh, Azusa Street, uh, which is where uh, the Pentecostal movement began. And, um, and then we're going to look next week from the Pentecostal movement on up to today. So we're going to look at those two parts. Um, I don't have time really to explore Hebrew scriptures or Old Testament use of the spirit and, and get into that. Safe to say, that what we can say about that is that the, the spirit was experienced, but it wasn't quite understood the way it would be understood in the New Testament. There was a sense of the spirit would come on people and then leave. In the New Testament, there's a sense of the spirit coming on and remaining. Um, and so that's a key distinction between the two. There's, there's an awareness of it. And the reason why we're calling it spirit is because I mean, what's interesting in the Greek is that the Greek typically does not use um, a definitive article when it is speaking of spirit. It just says spirit. Um, so there are times, and that's not doesn't mean a whole lot because Greek grammatically is different than it is in English. So it's not, it's not essential. There's not a one-for-one one translation when it doesn't use the definite article, then neither, neither should we. Um, it's not that, but rather that there is something about um, the, um, the lack of use of the definitive article, the or a, um, that is helpful, uh, particularly today. And I'll explain why. Um, the idea of, of, the spirit, the way when we speak of the spirit or the Holy Spirit, it tends to put things in, um, in our minds. It's not that we're intentionally doing this. This, is, this just automatically happens. We put it in a particular category. So if I were to say the Holy Spirit, if you're charismatic, you, in, you, you have a sense of what that means. If you were Pentecostal the way I was growing up, which to us, we thought charismatics were nuts. We thought they were crazy and didn't, were, were a, <clears throat> a derivative of what the true we, the Pentecostals, who can claim our history back to Azusa Street. Uh, you know, that was, we were the true Pentecostals of the early 1900s, you know. And the vineyard, when it began, um, all of us were suspicious. In fact, when I became vineyard, my brother said, Really? Are you into you, you? You you're like into all that weird stuff that they're doing over there at the vineyards. I was like, no, no, no. I'm I'm, I'm not saying I'm into it. I'm just saying I really enjoy it. And he's like, wow, they're a little weird. This funny thing about it is that Pentecostals were the weird ones when they first began, but then they kind of softened. Okay, so we're at, we're gonna look at this sort of history of what happens to movements and. 
and it could be very helpful to us because this is a, a process of self-reflecting. Like, what happens to us? And it's just, it's nothing bad. We're going to leave bad and good out right now. We're just going to speak about what is. And so we can observe and then, and then learn from it. But early Pentecostals, this was it. It was like crazy. It was weird what was going on, right? So, and then eventually we, we softened up. So we'll look at that in a little bit. But for now, let's pan back out again and talk about the spirit. Uh, spirit is maybe helpful for us to get out of the sort of boxiness that we put it in. Once again, as I started out by saying, if we said, if I said spirit and you're Pentecostal, you have a particular view of what that is. If I say holy, if I say vineyard or charismatic, you have a particular view of what that is. If I were to say Catholic, you would have a particular view of what that is. Uh, if I were to say um, uh, evangelical, you'd have a different one. If I were to say orthodox, you'd have a very different one. It just goes on and on and on. So we have categories, right? So this might be helpful to sort of let's pull out for a moment, if we can, pan out beyond the categories, as difficult as that can be, and just to say spirit, whatever and whoever. And it is so helpful for us to actually get there to sometimes say there's something we know for sure and there's a lot we don't. Can we just be okay with that? That we don't have to have every answer. Um, this gets to this old wineskin, new wineskin idea. Um, let me just uh, start there. So hopefully you don't get dizzy as I do this. Okay. Matthew 9. And John's disciples came and asked him, how is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. Then they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do people pour new, wines, new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst. The wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. Okay, so we don't need to get too deep into the context of what Jesus is saying, because uh, right here, what he is saying is something that that is beyond the immediate context. It's sort of this like the general principle of the, of the way things are. And so he's establishing this general principle, the general principle being that that there are old wineskins and there's new wine. Right. You can't put new wine into old wineskins. You can't put it that doesn't work. It ruins it, right? You, you have to have old wine and old wine skins, new wine. Okay, that's a world that we're not familiar with. That analogy probably falls uh, flat for, for a lot of us. But the idea is that there are containers, okay? Can we look at the wine skin as like that's a container? And what Jesus is pointing at is saying there are containers you have. You have a theology, you have doctrine, you have practices, you have beliefs as a Jewish people. And you have all of these things and all of these things that you do and have and believe are the wine skins. But there's something I'm doing that's new in this time. That's the new wine. There's something that 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 God is doing that's different, that's not fitting within these old wine skins. And the problem is that the old wine skins are going to burst if you keep trying to force what's new into the old. Okay. Um, this is what happens when we have uh, experiences, and I'll get into a little bit of neurosciences because this whole field called neurotheology um, that really has been um, started by a, a neuroscientist, very well-respected neuroscientist um, in, in the field. And it's, it, it, his particular 
his particular thing is, is uh, neurotheology, which is fascinating. But what he does is he scans brains as they are having spiritual experiences. So he has them come in, uh, his whole team does this. Um, and there's some fascinating results that are coming out of it. And he's one who's saying, listen, we've got we've to begin, stop being really crazy either on one side of science and saying there's no divinity, there's no God, there's no spirituality. And on the other side of religion, we've got to stop being so crazy that we have these, these absolute like, no, none of it is biological. It's all spiritual. It's like God created us as physical beings, you know, like, like, we should see something happening in the brain when God comes. Amen. You with me? Like that makes sense. Doesn't it? Like, I mean, that's even, that's even found in the scriptures. Like, so, but this is crazy that we would have this separation, but it's, it's something we are all raised in. I was raised in that. I still have that effect in my brain. It's still, I still see separation sometimes between, you know, divinity and, and uh, materiality, let's just say. Okay. But, but neurotheology is fascinating because what they're seeing is something really different happening to the brain when the brain is, when the, when the person is either speaking in tongues, okay, which of course has been shunned by evangelicals and non-charismatics. And then when people are having deep meditation, so he studied uh, Buddhists who are in deep meditation. He started Sikh uh, people who are doing their practices and so forth. And there's something happening chemically to the brain. It changes. And what he is looking at it and describing it as, it seems to be a very happy brain. It's a very healthy brain. And it produces physical health as a result of that. So whether you believe in it or not, you'd be crazy not to actually at least say, if that makes for a healthy brain and a healthy body, wouldn't I want to at least be open to that possibility, right? Okay, so what he goes on to say is that, um, and there's a few others who have written about this, but there's another one that's written about um, enlightenment uh, through the lens of neurosciences. And what happens is when you have a moment of awakening, like you have this moment of an aha, like, wow, that was really an, quite a spiritual experience. It doesn't quite change us immediately, what happens is you have this momentary aha, and then what you take with that aha, so I'm going to be very conceptual, so part, forgive me for those of, of you who um, are more concrete in your thinking, um, I will bring it down to the concrete, but like, it, what happens is we're trying to force these concepts, these, these aha moments, into previous categories that we know. So if you're, here's a concrete example, you're a Pentecostal, and all of a sudden charismatics in the 1970s show up. There's like this stuff happening. And you're a Pentecostal and you're used to dressing up in suits every single Sunday and you're used to singing the old uh, Holy Roller songs and, uh, and then you have these hippies coming in and they're not dressing up and they've got, you know, all their things. They, they just, and they're still high and they're coming in high. But when they're coming in high, and by the way, our movement was started, the whole vineyard was started by people who were doing drugs. So just so you know, it explains a whole lot. Um, I mean, this gets kind of whitewashed, but that's actually what's in the, the, the actual history of it. It's, it's there. Um, it's, uh, so, uh, but, but, but these, these were, do, they, they were high and they're coming in and they're having both spiritual experiences, but they're also hearing from God. And when they're hearing from God, they're having these amazing abilities to know things they shouldn't otherwise know. And they're coming up to people saying, hey, I feel like God told me this. And they're just like, how did you know? Nobody, I've ne never told anybody this. And they're like, you know, yeah, man, it was really awesome. I felt like God told me something. It's like those two didn't mix, right? And, and so the Pentecostals are like, whatever that is, that's of the devil. 
No, they were ser- I'm serious. Th- that's of the devil. That doesn't belong. Right? You see what's happening? New wine, old wine. They did the same thing to Jesus. You're a glutton. You're a drunkard. Certainly you can't be from God. Right? You're not fasting the way the rest of us are fasting. You're not doing this thing. Right? You're too much of a party guy. What's going on? Now, it wasn't, it wasn't sin. It was just that his way of being was new wine. And when people look at new wine, a new way, they can't categorize it. So what do they do with it? They moralize it. That can't be because it doesn't fit. It makes me uncomfortable. Therefore, it's bad. We all do that. I'm uncomfortable. So therefore, it's morally bad. <laughs> right? So this is why we have to start with observation and pull back and go, wait, before I judge, before I criticize. The whole thing of, of faith is faith is not a state. It's not a, a destination. Faith is a path. It's a journey. It's always moving. Right? You have two very, very distinct sort of almost archetypal um, descriptions of this in the Bible. One is the desert period for the Jews. What was the desert period for the Jews like? The desert period was them following around a cloud. The spirit of God. And you know how annoying that was for them? Like, oh, what are we doing? We're moving again? This is great. Pack up the tents. Let's go. And they went on a journey. This kept going on. What happens with Jesus? Same deal. He's a wandering, nomadic, homeless Messiah. And he's got people following him, wandering around, meandering around. These are symbolic acts of what it is like when you are following God is it's a movement. It's a movement always moving forward and transcending the previous stages and the previous understandings. Now, this is not happening every day, but it happens periodically. All right, so this is what um, the journey is like, and this is why Jesus says, I'm not tossing out the old wineskins. What I'm explaining to you is that the old wineskins are valuable. They're not to be discarded. They're old ways of thinking, but they contain something that is also good. So what we have to do is create new containers for whatever is happening and let the two live together for a little while and see what happens. Okay? And that's the balance that we're called to live in. That's why Matthew leaves it that way. He doesn't say, you know, the old wineskins, we're done with that. We're done with the old wine. Move on. No. It's like, let both exists, exist together. Um, but we're not going to discard one for the other. I think Paul says something very similar in Romans 14, where he talks about um, some, feeling, some being able to eat meat and others not. And it was a very controversial, very controversial issue. It's not like today. Serious controversy over this issue. It was threatening to divide the church. Paul does not say discard one for the other. He says, I know based on what I understand, based on my level of understanding and consciousness, that it's okay to eat meat, but for some others, it's not. So let the two exist, except this. Don't judge those who still can't eat meat. You, those of you who feel like you're enlightened, don't judge those people. 
And those of you who feel like you can eat meat, um, actually, for those of you who can't eat meat, don't judge those who can. That's the, more the, that's the way it goes. Don't judge those who can. And those who can eat meat, don't look down in contempt on those who can't. And that tends to be the way it continues even to today. Um, so, okay, so that's sort of conceptual stuff here happening. Um, new wine so let me give you a little history. Um, let's start with the, start with the uh, book of Acts. All right, so I'm only going to touch two passages um, in Acts because uh, the rest of the time, if I were to go into another one, I'd have to go into a bunch more. So Acts is sort of like this is the start to something really powerful that's happening with the Spirit, Holy Spirit. Uh, when the day of Pentecost came, this is Acts, uh, let's go back to Acts actually chapter 1, and we'll finish with verse 8. Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. This is, um, this is the text on which all of Pentecostalism back in Azusa Street in 1903 or something, around there um, uh, to, I think, 1917. It was like this, this really powerful revival movement. Like th- thousands of Pentecostals were, um, people were converting uh, to and becoming Pentecostals and crazy stuff was happening. It was, it was amazing. So in, in, um, so at the start there, they begin, they really base their teaching, their thinking on Acts chapter one, verses four through eight. This is where it came from. And, and, it, and it's this, this uh, passage here. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, this is Jesus. Um, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift uh, my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. When they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. This was the key verse on which uh, Pentecostals, uh, uh, you know, started their whole thing. The whole thing came from that. Um, there had been in history before Azusa Street. So I'm going to go back to the beginning, right at the beginning, after the book of Acts, there were movements of the Holy Spirit. Um, but not quite to the degree that there was uh, it during um, the time of, of, uh, of the Pentecostal revival, the movement. Um, but there were things going on. So this is the big question. A lot of people have said, okay, well, fine. So you guys believe in all this stuff, speaking in tongues, healings, miracles, all this stuff. Okay. How come then after the New Testament period, you have very little of it until 19, the, the early 1900s? You have almost nothing. Some would say there was nothing until then, but that's, that's now we know through historical We've got lots of history to, to show that that was actually happening, but why wasn't it happening like that? So it's a legitimate question, right? We don't just so, sort of go, oh, come on, come on, yeah, just can't get around that. No, we just that's actually a really good question. Um, there were movements. Um, we'll talk about that in a, uh, right now. We'll just jump into that and um, read a few things here. But so second century uh, Montanism held similar views about the basic tenets of the Christian doctrine to those of the wider Christian church. Uh, But it was labeled heresy for its belief in new prophetic revelations. The prophetic movement called for a reliance on the spontaneity of the Holy Spirit and a more conservative personal ethic. (laughs) 
Parallels have been drawn between Montanism and modern day movements such as Pentecostalism and the charismatic movement. This is the second century. This is not long after the time of Jesus. Um, And then uh, we have uh, in the third century, although Cyprian, Bishop of Carthage, spoke and wrote often of the gift of prophecy and receiving visions from the spirit. He was also responsible for the gradual disappearance of the charismata from the life of the church. He, among others, insisted that only the bishop and the priests of the church should be permitted to exercise these revelatory gifts. (laughs) What I want to talk about is this is this is like a key and very important thing to notice what's happening. It's when it's what happens when. um, Yeah. Okay. so so this street starts out as a. as a multi-racial uh, movement. Nothing like that had existed. The two, the two key leaders of the uh, Pentecostal movement were a white man and a black man. And it was unheard of. And, there were, and, the, and all kinds of people were pouring in, waiting to walk into this little building on Azusa Street to experience the Holy Spirit. And it became so massive that there were lines of people waiting to come in. And, uh, and these two were, were, were just like trying to keep up with what is going on here, right? Particularly what was interesting is people who were poor, people who were of no status whatsoever, we're having the ability to speak in tongues and to give words of prophecy that rocked the world of those people who were wealthy and in power in positions. And it was elevating those who were down here and those who were up here were coming down a little bit and they were meeting. And this, what, this sounded a whole lot like the book of Acts. Because the book of Acts in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit comes on everyone, I didn't read that, but the the Holy Spirit comes on everyone. uh, Peter says, this is in fulfillment of Joel chapter 2, which says this, that in the last days, my spirit will come on all flesh. Your, and then he starts to list the people. And he works his way down to young ladies, all the way down to servants. And even slaves will be filled with the Spirit of God. This is one of those in that day would have caused them to go, that does not fit in here. Okay? That doesn't fit in any current structure. That is new wine being poured into old wineskins, and we're going to have to try to figure out what this means because it is beyond our understanding. And then the book of Acts has this happen and you have all these people who are beginning to have these abilities they didn't have before. And when they're acting on them, people are being powerfully impacted, having experiences of the Holy Spirit themselves. And now the rich and the poor are doing this. And it's, it's confounding. The ethnic divisions are mixing and it's like, what is going on here, right? Like this can't be going on. This doesn't fit. And that was what happened in the book of Acts. There was a lot of like, wait, hold on, hold on. They have to become like us. They have to become Jews, right? They have to become like our culture, our, they have to convert to our culture, right? No, 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 they don't. They don't. And so this is what's messing them up. Now, fast forward to what I just read here. 
what happens here? Well, there's power that starts to come in and says, wait, it should be just those of us who are in power that get to do this. It's a control thing. And so you think to that and you think back to what happened when the Azusa Street Pentecostal movement started as a multiracial movement. And what happened shortly after that? There was a division and it went back to previous categories. That's how the Church of God was formed. It's a predominantly a black uh, denomination. It was formed because we didn't know what to do with previous. It's again, it's the new wine coming into old wineskins and we don't know what to do with that. And so it's so easy to go back to old and the, the ways that we're familiar and to try to force those spiritual experiences into those old categories. But Jesus's words about, but don't do that because it'll burst that thing. You really need new categories is, is, is something that I think is important for us to think as we're moving into this day. Okay. So anyways, there was all kinds of things happening throughout the centuries. There's um, all the way to uh, the uh, Middle Ages. So you have St. Teresa of Avila during the 16th century, who's really struggling with prayer. And she talks to a Jesuit priest who would, for advice on overcoming her struggle. His advice was simple and to the point, but changed her life. The priest insisted on praying to the Holy Spirit. And from that point on, following this great advice to rely on the Holy Spirit, Teresa's life improved markedly. Then you have St. Anthony of Padua, while speaking to a large crowd, was reportedly understood by those who spoke different languages. Um, St. Paul of the Cross in the 18th century, while preaching, people were miraculously healed. And there's more. There, there's more of these sort of stories. There's stories of um, St. John of the Cross back in the uh, 12th century, who started the Dominican movement, who was uh, followed by a, he was on, on, a, um, uh, on a walk. He was just walking and going from place to place. And he had a band of um, Germans who were following him because this band felt like there was something about St. John that was compelling. They didn't, they didn't speak. They couldn't speak to him. He couldn't speak to them. They didn't spoke different languages. And St. John um, prayed all night and said, God, please, please give us the ability to talk to them in a language that they can understand. And he woke up and was able to speak fluent German. And these people came to faith. So these are stories. Now, again, we can dismiss them and say, I'm not sure how true they are. Maybe they're embellished. Maybe. But you have, all, you have centuries of these stories. And then we have the Pentecostal movement that starts and at first was viewed as crazy and as a, you know, well, I'm not sure that that fits and I'm not sure how that would. And we didn't know what to do with it. And so we discarded it. But yet there were things that were happening. Right. And so, yes, we still have questions. There's a lot of questions. For example, when we say speaking in tongues, some of you feel uncomfortable and I get it. It's weird. <laughs> Uh, and some say, well, but this speaking in tongues isn't an actual language like it was in Acts 2. Acts 2, they actually spoke languages. We're not actually speaking languages, which is accurate for the most part. In, in some of these stories, that did happen. In fact, in, in, when I was in Bible college, we were in a Pentecostal Bible college. Um, we practiced this all the time, speaking in tongues and all this and, you know, prophetic words and all that. And one day, uh, my wife was, was standing in front of a friend and uh, this friend was um, from uh, uh, an, an African tribe, uh, remote village, and had uh, come over to the U.S. and come to this college. Our college would, would, would actually do this and bring people in and then these students in and, and fund their whole way through college. So um, she was there. 
And, uh, and then someone behind her during the worship time started speaking in tongues. And Patty's friend starts crying. This African woman starts crying. And uh, she turns to this woman and says, how do you know my tribal tongue, my tribal language? And the woman said, I don't. And she said, you've just been telling me and giving me answers to prayers I've been praying in the dialect, in my own dialect. Like, it just blew her away. Now, Patty witnessed this, right? So this isn't one of those, like, I heard this and I heard that. It's like, we witnessed it. We saw it. Um, in, in movements like this, I've prayed for people, seen miraculous healings. Like, I'm, I'm stunned by it. Like, total healings of things that were, uh, you know, inexplicable. Like, I mean, I could walk away and I could say, well, that's a psychosomatic thing. Maybe, maybe. But here's the thing. When I've experienced the Holy Spirit myself, and, and when I was talking to Patty about this, I said, you know, I'm a very rational person. And so I have a lot of questions and I have things that just don't make sense. And so I just hold those like over here, right? But the thing is that I can't get away from is when I've had these powerful Holy Spirit moments, it's changed my life. Like, I, I know that. Like, I can't, I can't deny that. I, can't, I tried for a long time to deny my whole Holy Spirit upbringing because it was crazy. There was a lot of extremes. I came from a very, very, like, it makes everybody else look pretty tame in terms of Holy Spirit stuff. Trust me. Trust me. You get stories? I'll go toe-to-toe with you. My stories are crazier. Trust me on this one. I mean, nuts. I've seen everything. People are like, oh, have you ever heard of this? Yeah, yeah, I've heard of that. I was involved in that, too. So it's all this stuff, and I just sort of said, man, this is nuts, and I rejected it for a long time. But the thing is that what I couldn't get away with is is finally when I got through this sort of whole rejection thing is I came back to it, and Patty and I were having this conversation a couple days ago, and I said, man, it's just, you know, it's those moments were really powerful, weren't they? Like, you remember those in Zion when we were there together. She's like, yeah, Absolutely. And like those things really changed you from a dispositionally, like from the inside out. And I'll finish with this. When I was uh, 13 years old, um, I, had, I was struggling with a lot of anger, a lot of anger, rage, all kinds of rage. And I was so rebellious. I just couldn't stand anybody. I was always fighting with my, my siblings, particularly my brother. Um, and, uh, and, and so my, but I was eager. I was very spiritually uh, interested in things. And my parents, uh, were also very much that way. So they went off to this little church plant in Malden and it, they were doing these Friday night gatherings. And this was just downstairs in the basement. And there was like 20 people down there and they started singing. Um, and they were singing these new songs that were coming out during that time. There was a little talk on the Holy spirit and then an invitation for those who wanted to receive the spirit. And I did. I said, yeah, I'm, I'm in. And I went up and I got prayer for. And uh, while I got prayer for, uh, something happened. Blew my own mind. Like, I, I didn't expect this at all. But I started speaking in tongues. And when I spoke in tongues, this was a river. It wasn't like I was making any of this happen. It was a flow. I could stop it, but I didn't want to. Because whatever was happening there in that moment um, was so amazing that I felt completely transformed, completely trans. I don't know what, I, I don't even have words for it, but I wasn't, it, time and everything else had stopped. And um, I spoke in tongues. And while I was doing that, everything was, I could feel everything washing off of me. 
like total, absolute love and peace. And after about three, four minutes, I stopped speaking in tongues and I felt a deep rest. It was like, and I looked over and no one was in the room. And my dad, who comes, who is a graduate of um, a Southern Baptist seminary, anti-tongues, was sitting there. And my mom, who's very Pentecostal, was also sitting there. And I said, where did everybody go? My dad said, you've been speaking in tongues for 30 minutes. We've been waiting. I said, no, no, it's not 30 minutes. It's like three minutes, right? No, 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 you've been going. And after that, my dad could not explain why everything about me had changed. My sense of love for people, my sense of deep compassion and just tenderness. My ability to hear from God was remarkable. I could hear, I could understand. It didn't last. I wish I could say it lasted for six months, a year, all the way up until today. It didn't. I went back to being my rebellious self in about two months, three months after that, maybe, maybe less. But I can never forget that moment. That moment impacted me. And I've had moments like that since. And so whatever scientific explanation, which I'm sure there will come one, but what I welcome is let's bring it all in. Let's bring the scientific explanations. Let's bring it all in. But here's what we can say that what I'd like to hold on to is what if, and here's the big question. What if God in fact is real? What if all of this is also very real, but maybe it's a new category. Maybe it's something that we have to stop trying to force things into old categories and start to once again say, I don't know. I don't know who this man that healed my eyes, but I know one thing, I was blind and now I see. Like, can we come back to that? To that place of just, I don't know, but I welcome the spirit. I welcome God into my being. And, and that's okay. Whatever comes of it is okay. I'm okay with that. But one thing I know is that I want to be a person who is open and who is genuinely seeking. And if we're seekers of, of God and we're open, then we don't have to force anything on anybody. I would say, well, you have to speak in tongues. If you've got the Holy Spirit, you've got to speak in tongues. Like, no. <laughs> Whatever God wants to give you, whatever happens in that moment, can we just celebrate that and be happy? Well, like, like we did a, co- a week ago, or when was it, a couple weeks ago when we said, when I went around, just ask folks, what did that feel like? What did that moment feel like to you? Well, it felt like peace, right? It felt, like, felt really wonderful. Great. Can we just say that's the, that's the spirit? Can we just say yes more to that? So that's, that's it for this morning. I want to stop there and just say, can we practice this even in worship? So, um, so sing with us and just be open to whatever the spirit might want to do this morning in this room. Are you guys okay with that and, and willing to take some steps? All right, let's, uh, let's stand and, and worship.